0: Welcome to the Everyday Marketer podcast, where we believe the key to great marketing isn't big budgets and confusing strategies. On this podcast, we give you practical solutions you can implement to grow your brand every single day.
1: Well, hey, everybody, we are back. If you're watching this today, we're glad to have you here. If you're a new listener, we're even more excited for you to be here. And if you are a returning listener, have you given us a review yet? We'd love that. Anyway, Alan, we've got a great episode today, and it's an important one. And it talks about a topic that I would say is timeless, and it's even more... It's more important and more pressing in our current culture. So you know more about this than I do. You had the conversation initially. So why don't you bring us in and kind of unpack it a bit?
0: Yeah, timeless and timely is really what this episode is... Uh, Somebody told me about a book called The Experience Economy. Well, for about the last, I don't know, three years or so, I've been obsessed with the idea of experiences and how our world is moving from information rich and experience poor to more of a transformative experience culture. And there aren't too many books on it. There are books like The Power of Moments by the Heath Brothers and Find Your Yellow Tux by Jesse Cole, The Savannah Bananas. There's a few others, but honestly, there's not a whole lot out there about how we're moving toward this experience economy. And literally, the book is called The Experience Economy. So I read the book, devoured it, then realized it was actually from 20 years ago. They've really called many of the places we've moved to. And then I got to have conversations about the updated edition of The Experience Economy with one of the co-authors, Joe Pine. And then we got to dig in a little bit to the difference between high touch and high tech and how those two can fit together. So I was particularly stoked at him speaking into this moment of how we've, we brought these two things together. Because obviously there's content like crazy online and then there is connection. We need both of these. What's the difference in these? How do we approach these differently as a nonprofit, a for-profit, a church even? And he spoke really, really well into this. So I love the conversation. And we actually brought it over from our sister company at State Fort Designs and the podcast, Right Setup Up Leadership podcast. We wanted to kind of break it apart here and dissect it a little bit. Um, and so that's really what stuck out to me the most. In addition to the idea of goods and services are not enough, you need experiences. That's something to listen for. It literally isn't enough. If you have goods and services, then it's a race to the bottom. The cheapest will win the day. But when he talks about these hybrid experiences, that got me really excited. Where are we heading with things like digital summits online, with things like cohorts and meetups and group coaching, individual coaching? How do we take it from information to transformation? I believe experiences are the path. To that, Jonathan. Any other places where you feel like this really hits us at high touch?
1: Well, as I was listening it, listening to it, and you were just given given your your take on the conversation. You mentioned high touch, and our our company is literally named High Touch Marketing. If you guys haven't followed us over there, our company is literally called High Touch Marketing. Um, one of our values is just being generous and being relational. So everything he's talking about and I got to say, it's mind blowing that the original conversation is over 20 years old, and it still pertains today. And it's so valuable that he, you know, um, updated it. But it is it's this idea of being less transactional and more relational and experiential with the things that you create and deliver to the marketplace. Because like you said, nobody cares that you sell a thing. Nobody really cares what that thing is. They want to know why, why it matters to them and what is going to help them overcome. And when you create an experience around that, you're making people feel more welcome. And we're in a skeptical society. Like people are standoffish nowadays. And so if you're just transactional and you're not creating an experience, you're going to lose out. Allergic. People are allergic to just being marketed to. uh,
0: And it's staggering whenever I hear the number of marketing messages directed at us. And I would just say, if you're listening and you are a millennial, people say we are the most marketed to generation ever to live. So, we don't even realize all the messages. I went this morning on my computer to print something, and the first thing that comes up is a web page with probably six headlines. So, before my day had really even started, or I'd knocked off any tasks. I have six headlines that are sort of making their way into my brain. They were negative. And so I'm like, Oh man, I didn't need to start the day with that. So I want you to keep that in mind as you guys listen to the first half of my conversation with Joe Pine. He also goes into organizations and teams, some of them really large companies to consult. He describes something called a chief experience officer. I believe we're going to see more of these um, throughout larger companies saying, How do we take really good information? And how do we transform it into an experience that brings surprise and delight? And let me just say it in a business sense, value. People know value when they experience it, when they feel it, when they touch it. People are tired of just going through a screen. And I would say to you, don't count yourself out of the experience business. I personally believe it's not going to be enough to provide a good or a service We actually are going to all have to be experienced providers. So we thought this was a really crucial conversation. Listen to this first half. We'll come back after this first half to have some kind of follow-up conversations, lead you out of it, and then we'll continue it again next week. So enjoy the first half of my interview with Joe Pine, co-author of the incredible book, The Experience Economy. Well, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, and I can just tell you, man, this is one of those books that I've been recommending people read ever since I read it. I don't know where it was hiding uh, all of these years, but The Experience Economy, <laughs> I can honestly say, both affirmed what we've been doing and just blew me away that this is something that that I would say almost prophetically, you guys are calling, writing about in the Harvard Business Review. Original version came out in 99. And man, I just thought this is written... For this moment, and so uh, you know, congrats on a message that that really has impacted a lot of lives. I know you do a lot of work around this. You're not just a writer, um, Joe. But what led you up to this study of the experience economy, and then eventually writing this book?
2: I, I, I got a kick out of, out of about using the word prophetically because you know, my partner Jim Gilmore and I like to say that we're not futurists. We don't tell you what's going to happen. We tell you what is happening, but you don't yet see it. Oh, uh, okay and it uh, and the experience kind came out of my original book. My first book, when I worked for IBM way back when, was called "Mass Customization," and which is about efficiently serving customers uniquely. You know, giving everybody exactly what they want at a price they're willing to pay. And what I realized is that if you customize a good, you automatically turn it into a service, that you're you're in the business of helping a customer design uh, exactly the good that they that that they need. Uh, and then you make it and then you deliver it to them on an individual basis, right? And that's how you define a service that, it, that, that they are um, um, customized for each person and, and uh, inventoried uh, and not inventoried after production, but delivered on demand. And then so then I discovered well, what happens when you customize a service? What happens when you design a service that is so appropriate for this particular person, exactly the service that they need at this moment in time? And, and, and then you can't help but, but make them go, wow, and turn it into a memorable event, turn it into an experience. So, so the key thesis of the, of the experience economy, uh, which a lot of readers actually don't get, you know, particularly if you look at the whole CX movement, which doesn't quite get it. But the whole thesis is that, in fact, experiences are a distinct economic offering, as distinct from services as services are from goods. Basically, when you use goods as props and services as a, as a stage to engage each and every individual uh, in an inherently personal way that creates a memory, which is the hallmark of the experience. So, so that's, that's where it came from. And so if you have experiences as a distinct economic offering, you would have an economy based off of experiences. And in 1999 and, and 98, when we did the Harvard Business Review article and a few publications before that, we talked about the forthcoming experience economy, the nascent experience economy. You, know, you could see that it was happening. It would become more predominant. But now, uh, you know, well into the 21st century, it's obviously that that economy is here, that, that we're in an experience economy where experiences have become the predominant economic offering, where people want goods and services to be commoditized so they can spend their hard-earned money and their hard-earned time on the experiences that they value. Man, well, a a little bit of background here, Joe, and, and even to the listeners, a few
0: years ago, I realized that the conference model is dying because I found myself in talks with people, eating tacos, having conversation, away from the... You know, quote unquote, conference conversation that we were going to have, and the best conversations we're having, were, you know, outside of that, they're usually in beautiful places. We're sitting under a palm tree. We're at the beach. <laughs> we're at a taco restaurant. And the best part of conferences was not what the conference was selling, but was the side experience that we had created. And so we began to kind of intentionally hack those. And of course, I mean, the conference model to many has gone down the toilet this last year of COVID. In many ways, not that it's never going to exist. You know, I'm I'm over. Generalizing, but we made a huge shift into experiences, which ended up being smaller, more intimate, incredibly memorable. And so as I read the book, it explained the shift that we had been making and you guys put it into words. So, so so grateful for the book. Um, And so as I'm listening to it on audio, I thought, man, I got to get one of these guys on the podcast. So here we are today. I want to expose your incredible work to our audience. Um, The subtitle, The Experience Economy, Work is theater. every business is a stage. Tell me more. what does that mean
2: well it's it, I mean, it's it's a fundamental thing that that you know what is the economic function of experiences? you know you you extract commodities out of the ground the basis of the agrarian economy. you make or manufacture goods, you deliver or provide services. What's the economic function of experiences? And we realize that it is staging. You know, we thought about orchestrating, choreographing, words like that. But staging is the best one because what staging means is that you design all of the elements in a particular intentional way to create impressions in your audience, right? That's what staging is. And, uh, and that's what you got to do with an experience. You have to design, you have to think of everything, you not you can't let things intrude and, and uh, be at odds with what you're trying to accomplish. It's got to be a cohesive experience that hangs together because of the intentionality that you bring to it and so once we recognize that well if staging is the right word then then work must be theater and 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 we do mean that that work is theater it's not a metaphor we don't mean work as theater we literally mean work is theater that whatever workers are in front of customers or the the guests of the experience would be the, the the proper word then they're on stage and they need to act in a way that engages that audience, engages those guests, uh, and creates that experience within them. So so we actually dedicate three chapters in the book to the the, the topic of theater, going in depth into, into why it's theater, what the principles of acting are, uh, uh, what uh, roles people need to play, the different types of theater, and so forth, uh, because it's so crucially important that that if you if you don't direct your workers to act right, then you're not going to get the the intentional experience that you that you want. So every business is a stage. Mm,
0: that's good. So
2: what is at stake
0: here? What if an organization uh, puts their head in the sand and ignores <laughs>
2: experience? What are the consequences? Well, it's like it's like every every book I write. There's a bo- bogeyman, right? that that you go against and with experience coming, what it is is commoditization Right, commoditization is the boogeyman mm. and uh and that's what happens if you put your head in the sand it doesn't mean that your business will go away it doesn't mean that you're forced to shift up this progression of economic value as we call it to stage an experience but it does mean that over time if you don't you will become a commodity which means people buy you basically based off a of price. You're undifferentiated. And so they could just as easily buy somebody else as you. And, and whenever an industry commoditizes, you know, there, there are usually one or two companies that can still make a lot of money because they figure out how to do everything most efficiently. They, they get rid of as many people as possible. They um, automate as much as possible. But everybody else is sort of left with, uh, with the table scraps. And so that's where you need to consider that opportunity to avoid that commoditization by shifting up and staging experiences by going to the next level of of economic value. Hmm.
0: So I'm curious, you had 20 years between or 21 years between the original and now the updated, completely expanded
2: version that released in 2020. What changed in the last 20 years? So number one, what's changed is what I talked about before that it used to be a forthcoming, a nascent experience economy, and now it's here. And then secondly, has been this explosion of, of experiences. Uh, we, we did this launch fest event, we called it for the 2020 re-release of the experience economy, where we 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 just for fun, we went and looked at all these strange experiences that and, and did it from A to Z. You know, beginning with A, the letter A, then beginning with B and put together this whole thing. Uh and and what it means is that everybody's getting into the experience business. You know, manufacturers are in the experience business, retailers in the experience business, restaurants are in the experience business, hotels are in the experience business, and so on and so forth. There, there's hardly a sector of the economy that it hasn't touched. And that means that that uh long-held experience stagers, you know, like think about uh, uh, uh concerts and plays and sporting events, and movies, um uh and so forth. Have, are, are, are now have this tremendous amount of competition that they didn't have before. And it is all the, the competition for, as we say, in the, the subtitle of the, of the re-release of the book, it's competing for customer time, attention, and money, right? So everybody's competing against everybody else for customer time, attention, and money. And so the, the bar has been raised for how great an experience that you have. The other huge thing, you know, very related to that is the explosion of digital experiences. The fact that we now have smartphones that didn't exist in 1999 that allows us to drop down and have an experience wherever we are, whether we're waiting in line, uh, whether we're trying to kill a few minutes between meetings, whether we're actually in a supposed experience, but it's not engaging enough. So we say, okay, let me check my email. Let me go out on YouTube. Let me go do all these other things. Uh, Plus the the, the digital technology that's come online from virtual reality to augmented reality. Uh, to all these other ways of doing things that are basically impossible in real life. One of my other books is called Infinite Possibility, Creating Customer Value on the Digital Frontier. And so it is all about how do we use digital technology to fuse the real and the virtual? And I think that's the other uh, big thing that has, that has changed uh, since then.
0: Well, wow. yeah, I was uh, watching my two sons together play Pokemon Go, which I yeah. thought that was years ago. Didn't know that was still around. Apparently it, <laughs> it's back and uh, watching them play and you're in real places with this phone in your hand leading you along the way, which of course I love because they're actually out getting exercise. They're not just playing video games. Yep. Uh, and and so it's beautiful to see some of those ways. I'm I need to pick up that book. I'm fascinated by how those come together. And of course this year, um, or at least in 2020, as COVID hit, we had to say, "Can you still do a powerful experience conference, summit, gathering, workplace, all of that?" What shifted in the experience economy when COVID hit?
2: Well, the 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 big thing, of course, is that uh, is that we have a huge hiatus in uh, physical experiences because any place that uh, people want to gather to experience is not a place anybody should be right now. So um, so the difficulty of being able to um, uh, get people together, the the lockdowns that have happened means that you know the death of a lot of experienced stagers, particularly what I'll call mom and pop shops, uh, you know, family entertainment centers and so forth, <clears throat> they don't have the means to be able to uh, weather this storm. Uh, but at the same time, it means the huge growth in digital experiences. And so we've gone from, from the physical to the digital, from out there to in here, from the, the uh, communal and social to the familial and the experiences that we have. But they haven't gone away. You know the explosion in um, uh, Zoom conferencing and other ways of being together, like we're using right now, Alan. Uh, the explosion of streaming services, Netflix and Disney Plus, and so on and, and so forth. The explosion in in video games and website experiences. Right, that all that is because people crave experiences. We're experience seeking machines, and so we're going to want to have those experiences any way we can. And so there have been some articles out there that talk about the death of the experience economy and so forth. But but that's not true either, because we still crave those physical experiences. We still crave being with other people. We are social beings as well. And we want to have those those social and communal experiences. And so there's tremendous pent up demand for that. You know, whenever whenever place opens, uh, whether it's a theme park or a restaurant, a bar, uh, whatever it might be, that the, it may only be 25% capacity or 50% capacity, but immediately it's filled to that capacity because people want to want to have those. So, so it's not the death of the experienced economy because as we've been saying for over 20 years now, uh, goods and services are no longer enough. They're, they're no longer enough to avoid commoditization on an individual company basis. They're no longer enough to support the entire economy. You have to have that experienced sector of the economy and so it will come roaring back once we get herd immunity through vaccines. Uh, there will always be some people who are going to be more reticent, uh, but the pent-up demand uh, is going to be there, and uh, and that will yield, finally, the full recovery of the economy once we bring that full experience sector back.
0: All right, Jonathan. Um, there's a lot there. We don't want to give away too much for next week. But when I think of this idea of high-touch marketing, of why we even decided to name our agency, this, it's because this is missing in the market. This relational approach to marketing, this we want to work with you and empower you approach, this we believe in you approach, and we actually believe the world needs your message approach. I believe that's an experience and it produces an emotion in someone. And so that's the kind of emotion that we want to produce in you guys. As we coach you guys, as we have conversations about you guys, the world needs your message but guys, let me just say this clearly, it is not enough to just fling content into the atmosphere and hope people pick up on it and hope yeah, people please hire don't do you that. and hope you can add value. Please don't just keep firing content. What else would you say, uh, Jonathan,
1: in, in relation to the first half of this interview? I would just say, well, first and foremost, you didn't compliment me on wearing the best shirt in the universe today. Dunder Mifflin. That to quote the great message and to quote the great Michael Scott, he said in one of the seasons and it ties back to us. I promise that he wants people to hate how much they love him. And when you create an experience around the product and service your company offers, people will begin to hate how much they love and respect your brand. And that's what you're going for. So that's my big takeaway from this first half.
0: (laughs) I love how you pulled that back to Michael Scott, just out of the air. If you're listening Over on the podcast, you have no idea that he's wearing a Dunder Mifflin shirt. You can watch us over on YouTube. Guys, we want to remind you, please share this message. Like, This is free and this is valuable. We take... Time to think about these things. We pull messages out of coaching. Guys, this is just the first half. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about experiences. We're going to get really practical about how you can bake experiences into even some of your digital products. We'll talk about that on the next episode. But, guys, as always, we are trying to demystify marketing. We believe in your message. Do you believe in your message enough that you actually will take it into the world? We want to equip and empower you to be able to do the work, but we do want To help you to do this, so for now, signing off from me and the Dunder Mifflin headquarters over there from Jonathan Collier. We'll catch you on the next episode.